Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the Shaw of Superbike. The Shaw. Mr. Shaheen Alvandi. I think it's the Shaw of Brap. You know, Shaheen Alvandi, the Shaw of Brap. I'm going to go ahead and coin that. Shaw I said Brap. that last time, and I'm going to do it. Just trademark it. Trade, like, like, you can't, it's hard to do on radio. Just like parentheses, the, TM. TM. We'll go register it so you can get the circle R. Trademark Shaheen Alvandi, 2018, yeah. 19. Shaw of Brap. In perpetuity. In perpetuity. Welcome to Brap, uh, Brapistan. I am your Shaw. Oh, dude. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to use it. <laughs> um, This is our first episode. It is. It's our first official episode. I know. I feel like taking a picture oh, no. of it happening. Oh. Look, look at you on your the throne of Brap Talk. You look good. Thank you. I, I tried to suck it in. I'm going to selfie it. I'm going to stick mine out because my gut's huge. Hey, ch- ch- oh, no. My giant. I have the biggest flower vase of water here thanks to you. You said you were thirsty. I was thirsty, and I am no more. So for those of you that have listened to me on the Two Enthusiasts podcast, you will find the format very, very similar. We're going to pick up the baton and carry on with where that that show uh, started. And Shaheen has been kind enough to, to join me on the microphones here in my living room. It's mostly because this couch is very comfortable, and I get to sit in it at least once a week. I was trying to explain to the lady friend how much the couch means to me. And like, if there was a fire, saving the couch first. Coda Kitty or couch? Coda Kitty second. Ooh, cat, you're in trouble. Other living people in the house third. I mean, they can walk probably. I'm just saying. I like the couch. So Shaheen, I, I don't know quite where to start. Um, so I'll just say, what do you what have you been doing in the two old world lately? I've been seeing on the social media. You've been you've been brapping around. I've been I've been so I've been riding my little Alta bike around. Uh, it's that time of year in the winter, and uh, in the Pacific Northwest, it's like prime dirt biking. Well, single trail riding season, I think. Snowy trail riding. If, I mean, not yet, but probably by next month it'll be snowy trails. Right now it's muddy trails. And they're, let me tell you, for a 240-pound guy out of shape on a, on a bike that's totally new to me, on a riding style that's totally new to me, it is kicking my ass hard. Like, I think I'm going to go back to the gym again every day. I need to. I'm going after this. You want to come? Maybe. Let's go lift some we'll, shit. Let's we'll call soul- ahead and make sure they have enough weight. Soulmates. I can deadlift, you know, a couple of pounds. Well, I've been down in the garage. Uh, I think we teased it um, on kind of the last two enthusiast podcast show. I bought a Kramer. Yes. So the the plan is to go race with that in uh, our local racing series, Omra. Okay. The, is the is the is that schedule out yet or no? The schedule is out, and they just wow. uh, looks like the rule books just about finished too. So there's a little bit of some issue of of what class it was going to be legal in because the way they have their rules set up it's it it kind of slaughters in the lightweight class like the other bikes that it's up against and what i mean what's an example of another bike that's against it like an sv650 no 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 that's another way murder it lightweight was like like ninja 400 oh geez i don't even know if like a cbr 500 is legal in that class i'd have to go back and look i don't remember what the 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 rules quite say but it's because it has an unlimited single cylinder displacement, a bike like a six, <laughs> like a Kramer. So the Kramer is a KTM 690 motor right. that you would get out of a Duke. Um, makes like 75 horsepower stock, 80 horsepower with race, 80 horsepower with race gas. And it weighs like 
280 pounds with with the fuel all in it. This bike weighs 40 pounds more than me with fuel in it. <laughs> Just let's perspective here. Well, the fun part is like when I was doing um, power to weight ratio, like or like. Um, just kind of like calculating like my weight and like right. where I can make gains. It's like all the gains are in becoming a lighter human being. This is the, this is the, the finest example of more horsepower per pounds lost as a human. Yeah, exactly. So that's been a big thing in my life lately. Uh, Joe at Kramer USA has been helping me get, uh, get ready for the season, but got a bit to do. Um, so it was the demo bike that's been in the Pacific Northwest area that people have been riding on that, so I, that I purchased. So it's it's well loved. It's got this like lime green frame though <laughs> that I'm just it. I'm just not I'm just not into it. Doesn't I mean I feel I feel like you of all people would be into it with your mm-hmm. your Mountain Dew obsession. I mean if maybe if, if PepsiCo wants to get on board and do a little sponsorship action, we can hey. talk. Even then, it's not the right color green for Mountain Dew. It's too forest green. It's not enough lime green. We know people. So I got to strip the bike down and, and get the pain fainted. The pain fainted. The pain fainted. Wow. It's been a long day. Welcome to Brap Talk. Dyslexia. We know words. We know the bit. best words. The best words. The very best words. Get the frame painted and uh, get it all kitted together and then probably go down to Southern California over the winter. I was about to ask you if you were going to practice a little bit and get to know this thing because the couple of guys that I know that got onto that bike last season uh you know had a little bit of a learning curve with it it's such a different animal they definitely had a learning curve i've had a couple goes at it but i haven't had any time to really set the bike up um beyond what what it was out of the box so yeah i'm a season behind thankfully we we've got a good little kramer club here in in portland and everyone's pretty willing to share information and data and things like that so i've been talking to a bit of the guys that that ran it this season they're making some changes Oh, suspension wise, I think they're so the Kramer comes with WP suspension, right? Uh, which KTM owns, and all these guys are moving to KTEC, I believe. Oh, so why well, is it more adjustability or cheaper to think, fix or easier? No, to fix? yeah, I think it was just they were having a hard time getting the setup out of the WP that they wanted, and KTEC's a little bit more of a known quantity. We've got a trackside technician that's a KTEC guy. So there's there's someone that you know is going to be at the track that knows how to service it, knows better how to support. set it up. There's a little bit better support. Right. Um, WP, especially on the roadside in the United States, really just it's behind the eight ball. I mean they they're almost behind Penske in, in a wow. lot of ways because you know Olin's is going to have a lot of experience. K Tech is coming on pretty strong in the U.S. Penske's been around for ages, um, and WP is really known better for their off road stuff. And and it's yeah, more of my my Alta's got that on it. Yeah, your Alta's got it. Um, almost all the KTM bikes have it, uh, Husky, uh, for obvious reasons. And it's a very Eurocentric brand. So we're still, I think kind of early days for the brand here in the United States. So I'm going to try and get through the season on it, at least until it starts becoming an issue. If it even becomes an issue, uh, I'm a lot taller and a little bit heavier than those other guys. And they were having a lot of front end issues. So yeah, there's a chance that I might be getting more weight onto the front tire than they were. And um they were also chasing tires for like half a season so that was gonna be my next question for you because that's the deep dark black hole in every forum what tires are you gonna go for i'm gonna run pirelli's probably so nice soft squishy stuff that you can i've always been a a pirelli guy uh since i started track days like when i did when i started really getting track days i lived back east i rode with nesba which later became uh after i left became n2 and their track side vendor was pirelli they were super cheap that's what i started on that's what i'm used to um now I've never, that I've, word, I've never put the words cheap and pearly next to each other 
I'm, well, I'm shocked. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, um, I'm trying to think what the tire was back then. The equivalent would be uh, like a Diablo 3 or a Rosso Corso 2. Right. That's kind of what I started my track days out on, like huh. a true like street tire, sport bike tire, and then, you know, work my way up. I don't think... Um, I don't think there's a lot of advantage, and we could we could go down this rabbit hole of conversation. Shane, uh, if you want, the, oof, the tires just, are a thing, man. Just in terms of like, do you need slicks when you're a newer rider, a new track rider? No, I don't think so. I think that can get you into a lot of trouble. Um, but yeah, I just cut my teeth on Pirellis, and then now you know, having a lot more experience, the Pirelli tire is one that I know really well. I know how it's going to perform. I prefer it over a lot of other brands' track tires, but um. I've definitely been impressed with some other brands track tires too. Like it's just kind of what you're looking for. The thing with Pirelli, um, in my experience is you're going to get the best grip out of them. It may not last very long. I was going to say it's short lived best grip. It's going to be a little bit more short lived. Um, and that kind of just comes down to like what you're looking for in a, in a track tire. And it also depends what tire we're talking about right. in the lineup. Pirelli out of all the motorcycle brands has the most, sport bike tires in its lineup there's like five or six i'd have to go back and look at the the chart but they've got a lot of tires that are used for very specific things so it's like you know is a uh super corsa sc mm-hmm. gonna be the same as a super corsa sp as it is gonna be with a diablo rosso corsa 2 as it is with the diablo slicks i mean those those are four tires right there they're designed to go on the racetrack that behave fairly differently from each other right and it's i I think this is this is going to be the big asterisk in this in this conversation i remember as a younger writer i would read you know forums and magazines and and listen to guys like you who know what they're doing more or less talk about tires and the little nuances that go along with each tire and so then it would make me as a younger writer go well i want to have the best one and if someone like jensen is saying that's the best one i'm going to get that so the asterisk is that's the best one for Jensen, and and that's and and that's the rabbit hole that m- maybe worth going down in, because I remember last season one of the guys that that you know does track days with us he's he's at best a B group rider, he decided to buy a set of slicks because he thought that's what's going to help him go faster. Yeah, that's a there's a there's something that needs to be explained to everybody. In order for you to have a race tire and to make it work right for you, you have to be at a race pace. Yeah, so that means you have to go hard on the gas, hard on the brakes to keep temperature on these tires if they don't keep temperature you are fucked and this guy got i mean he dropped that bike within the first two laps because uh-huh. he decided to does he have a triumph nope it was a, a yama r1 okay no, uh, no another, tire warmers nothing like that there's so, another guy at our at our track day that, that has some experience like that yeah i think you're i think you hit the nail on the head slicks where do i want to go with this let's back it up for a second i think there's a predisposition especially kind of in the online community where you have so much access to information that people want to boil it down to what's the best. We we started operating into superlatives. What's the best? What's the cheapest? What's the quickest? What's the strongest? And, and we start looking for like these, you know, what's the pinnacle? What's, what's, what's number one. Exactly. When that's a really like tough thing with a tire and just to like sidetrack it for a second. So a lot of the guys in the Kramer class, they're Dunlop guys. And they go, you put them on a, on a, on a super bike, they prefer and go faster on Dunlops than they do Pirelli's. 
um, because they're just they're Dunlop guys. That's the tire they know. Yeah. Now the problem they were having was the Dunlop on the Kramer just wouldn't heat up. It just wouldn't work the way it would work on a bigger bike. Oh, it doesn't have nearly as much flex. That's, well, that's, that's the thing. Like when you look at the spectrum of tire construction, Dunlop versus Pirelli, those are the guys on opposite ends of the spectrum oh, in yeah. terms of um, carcass design and compound design and and stiffness and just just the way they fundamentally make the tire work and make grip. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me. You're like, Oh, if you're having trouble with one going to the other, it's going to probably make a difference. But going back to, to this like superlative kind of thing, like what's the best it's like, well, for whom, for, for what riding style on what bike at what track under what temperatures. And then you start like, okay, let's say like Pirelli's your choice or, or Metzler or Michelin or whoever it is. Um, then it comes down to, it's like, well, you know, like let's talk about setup. Let's get in that. Let's get that figured out. Which tire in that lineup is the right one for you? Because if you're like, you, I think you made a great example. If you're a B level rider and you're a mid group rider, you may not have the pace to keep a slick warm. You know, you might not be pushing it hard enough to keep it in its operating zone where it's going to provide you that maximum grip that a slick can do. And also if you're not, running with tire warmers if you're not you know maintaining that tire's temperature and paying more attention to it um you know it'll bite you in the butt really quick we were out uh, i'm trying to think what track day it was it was towards the end of the season but a gentleman had slicks on his bike and like literally crashed like four turns five turns in and i go and i pick him up and he's coming you know we take him back in and he comes over later and we're talking about it and he's like i'm like i noticed you're running slicks you know, did you have any tire warmers? And he's like, no. And I'm like, this is literally like first Oof. lap of the day. That's cool. I mean, the track's not even warm yet to the touch. Yeah. On like one of the first right-hand turns of the, or one of the first left-hand turns on the track. And I'm just like, well, I'm like, he's like, because he was saying, you know, like it just, there was no warning. It just went out for underneath. And I'm yep. like, yeah, that sounds like a cold tire. Yep. And if you're on slicks and we're in, were we in B group or C group? No, we were in B group. If you have slicks in C group. No, you're not. Whoever let you in C group should be spoken. No, they should talk. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, but he wasn't running warmers. And it's just like, I'm like, well, buddy, it's cold out. You know, it's the end of the season. It's cold in the morning. You're not putting, you're not heating up the tire in the grid. Right. Uh, in the paddock on your, on your tire warmers. And you're going too hard too early. And quite frankly, you probably don't have a pace to keep it warm. Like a slick is the wrong tire for you. I don't care what brand it is. I bet that was all news to him. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's unfortunate that. Um, that wasn't information that they were to grab, but they probably read somewhere on a forum. Yep. Hey, the best tire you can get is a slick, and the best slick is this, and this right. is what you get. Like, oh, you've got an R one. This is you got to put a two hundred, you know, fifty five on this tire on this wheel and do the thing, and that's gonna be the best lap time. And you're like, for for who? For me, maybe. For you, maybe not. For someone else, maybe not. Right. Or maybe so. I mean, it it really really depends. Um. It's, and that's and that's the thing. Motorcycling as a whole is well. Track days on motorcycles. There, there's so many very important things that are that are just like they feel like minute things on the street. And chances are people don't check things like the kind of tire, the kind of air pressure, the kind of suspension setup they have to have. But once you start getting to the track and you want to push it and you want to get to that next level, then it takes it requires you know a, a new level of understanding and awareness of your motorcycle. So if you're just reading something that says, oh, this is the best tire, you you have to do a little more research and say, well, I'm riding such and such bike at such and such pace at such and such temperatures. 
you know, and and all those things have to kind of work well together for you to get the tire that works well for you. I I am one of those guys who made the mistake. I had what Brian Catterson called a Q3 2.0, which is a set of Q3s that are Dunlops used on a second season. And I went down. I low-sided on on the, the first left-hander at PIR on my post-lunch. Uh, uh, was this on your multi? No, it was on my, well, it was on my 999. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'd gotten a perfectly good season out of those tires, and then I decided to go into the next season, and we went to Washington at the Ridge. And, and the Ridge has a totally different asphalt than PIR does. It's newer. It's got sharper edges to it, so it tends to grip a little bit better. So, you know, I, I had a good time. I felt really confident at, at the Ridge. So when I came back to PIR, which is essentially my home track, I was like, I got this. And I had a r- really good morning. I had three really great morning sessions. And then after lunch, I got on the bike, went out there, started pretty soft. And on like the first lap, turn three, down I went without a single trace of anything being, you know, communicated to me by the tires at all. It's just, I got set up for the left turn and then the bike was just gone. And I mean, that was just me looking at us. If you look at those tires, they're still in my garage. They look perfect. You know, they're gummed up a little bit, but I used them. They were done. Yeah. Yeah. So, I had to learn. And this kind of comes back to like, why am I running Pirellis? Well, I know what I can get out of a Pirelli. I've done enough track days. I've done enough seasons to go like, okay, I know that these tires I can get three full days out of. But usually that fourth day, yep. that's the day I end You're up done. in the gravel trap. Yep. And so you can start and be like, okay, this is what the life is. This is how hard I know I can push it. It's the same thing when I know I put a fresh one in. I know much, how much harder I can push a Diablo Super Corsa SP when it's fresh versus when it's the end of the day. Um, what the what the drop off is on the grip. Yeah. So a little bit of that is just kind of experience and and what I know. Um, some of it is knowing and seeing what the other people in the paddock have had issues with. In terms of saying like, hey, you know, we really, we spent half a season, you know, four guys trying to make Dunlops work and they didn't work. Like everything we did, tried to do just couldn't work. And I can sit there and be like, well, oh, I can be the fifth guy that'll figure it out. <laughs> or I can be like, okay, well, maybe that's a tire that doesn't suit that bike. In fact, when I was talking to him, I was like, you know, maybe you look at the Metzler Supermoto tire. Because at the end of the day, a Kramer is basically a yeah, Supermoto with a race fan on it. And, yeah. And it's it's a different compound, it's a different structure. They make a one sixty five, which is kind of an odd size. Um, and and funny enough, I heard uh, the other day that they ended up running a tire. I think they just ran the rear. I don't know if they ran the front, but at Miller and they used it. And they're like, yeah, it actually worked out pretty well. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I don't think it would be my first choice, but I mean, it's an interesting option to try. So I'm going to try a couple different things in the off season. But I would foresee myself being on on Pirelli's. I could see that working out for that bike. It's it's a, you know, it it, it it's a light lightweight enough bike and puts down, you know, not enough power to need something as stiff as a Dunlop. Uh, I, I bet the Pirellis will work out well for you. I'm curious to see what you find out when you go to California. Yeah, well, one of the interesting things, I mean, I got to do a little back to back with a Kramer and a, and a street bike, and just noticing how much more rigid the frame is, and it's one of those things where. You need maybe a little bit more flex in the carcass. You need a more soft carcass design tire, like a like a Pirelli, rather than like like I guess what I'm trying to say is I can see why like a Dunlop wouldn't work very well. Right, really rigid tire with a really rigid frame. Surprise, it's not hooking up. Um, so that'll be one of the more interesting things. I'm hoping. I don't think anyone on asphalt and rubber really cares about me racing. 
in terms of like, how did Jensen do this weekend? But I think it's going to allow me to write some interesting stories that I'll talk about, like this conversation we just had, like, let's talk about like tire theory and here's some experience and like, hey, yeah, I went out on forge from tires and here's what I learned from them. And what does this actually mean in terms of like applying it to you? Like at the end of the day, is this something that applies to anyone on a 600? Probably not. On a Kramer, probably for sure. For a tall rider, maybe. I don't know. So the other question I would have for Kramers being that they're so unique and you were mentioning how, you know, it's they're having a hard time figuring out where it sits. I, I wonder if it'll end up having its own class at some point, like like the Miata Cup cars, you know? It's such a unique vehicle that there's really nothing else in the market that can go against that toe-to-toe. You're either going to have too much power or not enough power in, the, in that uh, category. Well, that's the interesting thing to see. Um and that, that was what kind of surprised me, like literally the day after I bought the Kramer. So I bought it off my, my own hard-earned blogging dollars, I should say. <laughs> um, and like like a week after that, they're like, oh, yeah, we might really get rid of that class. We might get rid of the lightweight class. And what they end up doing is actually the lightweight classes. I think Kramer's going to actually end up sponsoring it. Hmm. Um, there's gonna be, cause, cause it really is that bike for that class. Yeah. Um, and they kind of ended up shuffling for them. I think for Omra, the big concern... I mean, there's a little bit of a concern of Kramer's because they're, I think if they're a true lightweight bike, I think that's fair to call it a lightweight. It weighs 280 pounds. Um, it's lighter than a Ninja 250. It's lighter than almost anything on, on the, in that class. I right. What I else mean, is out there? It's a little unfair. You're basically buying, you're buying podiums because you're <laughs> outspending like, you know, your comparable equipment, probably yeah. like four to one. But um, for them, I think one of the biggest concerns was the Cripple Triple 450s. Yes. And seeing how popular those were, how many people were, were getting on them, and really trying to make a class where like the 450s could shine. And I think that's what ended up happening um, more so in the rules was making room for a 450 class that the Kramers can race in and they can be competitive. We might need a little bit more horsepower. There's been a little talk of like, engine modifications amongst the the kramer crew but i don't think that's going to happen because uh, it's basically a stock ktm motor yeah it's kind of interesting to see that like it's literally stock it's just how do you think it'll do for longevity and you know, getting beat up like that at a, in a track setting because i mean you're 100 on the gas or 100 on the brakes typically yeah pir definitely had me worried and that was one of the things like i really i've been interested in this bike for a really long time uh, i basically followed it all season but i really wanted to see what those bikes look like at the end of the season uh, this year and pretty good. I mean, those, those things did a lot of, there was a lot of bike hours. Is that the right measurement? That seems right. Yeah. Do a trademark that one. Tra- bike, yeah, bike hours. hours. Uh, there's a lot of time put in at PIR on those bikes on, on a, on a multitude of bikes and they all seem to f- handle the thing mechanically quite well. So that has me pretty rest assured and, and understand too. And I talked a little bit to, to my guys at KTM back in Austria that's a pretty built motor. Huh. That motor is really well designed in terms of metallurgy, tolerances, um, design, and, and longevity. Uh, this is the second generation, second gen? I think it's the second gen 690. So it's got a dual balancing shaft, which is a big deal in terms of just kind of keeping the vibrations down and helping them make more power. I mean, it was made for a street bike, it was made for a 690. You know, Duke, right? With you know that would, could do f- highway miles all day long, you know, city duty, track duty, 
you know, its use case scenario was to be a street bike. It's not like it's a dirt bike motor and being wedged into a road bike frame where, which we've seen a lot of trouble with, especially with like the 450 singles, right? You know that are basically motocross engines and, and road racing frames, and they blow up all <laughs> they the time blow because up all the time, yeah, not what that engine was designed to do. Um, so I'm fairly confident. I don't know, Gene. I mean, I'm I fairly, I'm, all right. I'm pretty I mean, confident. I'm not that worried about. about I saw that. more Yamahas blow up last year than Kramers. That is true. I saw more <laughs> Yamahas blow up than Kramers. Um. In fact, I didn't see any Kramers pull up. That's that's that that's the help, and and understand too, it's a stock motor, um, so it's still it's still you know other than the fact you're running race gas and changing uh, uh, a little bit of the of the. Is time. there a warranty that comes with that bike? Because I mean, it just seems like it's a race bike. So no, yeah, because as soon as a lot of these manufacturers, Ducati for instance, finds out you've been on a track, even a track day, I'm not saying racing, they pretty much pull the warranty immediately on you. It's a little bit scary. I would say if a brand has a lot of marketing when they show their bike on a racetrack, they should be careful about pulling warranties for racetrack use. Racing, sure. Track days, I don't know. Uh, a brand got in trouble for this uh, not too long ago where they had a bike and they were showing it, like doing a lot of, it was like a dual sport type bike. Right. And they were showing it doing like a lot of jumps and off roady <laughs> stuff. And then their owners started taking them out and they're realizing like the frames were cracking and breaking. And uh, the marketing materials came back to buy them. It was like, hey, if you're going to show this bike taking like a pretty big jump, yeah, like like a motocross, not like a like a double or anything, but like you know, saw like, hey, it's like three, oh, four feet in the gets air, both wheels off the ground. You know, if you're showing it doing that thing, if you're going to send it, yeah, you're showing people sending it. <laughs> um, don't get upset when your customers do that at bike breaks and they say like, hey, I thought I could do the thing. So, um, but yeah, no race bike, no no warranty. Oof. But I mean, that's such as life. So the good news is there's at least some dealership support, apparently, from what I understand. So I probably, I'm probably not supposed to say this. Let's say it anyways. I think we should. Uh, it sounds like Motocorsa is going to be a Kramer dealership here in the Pacific Northwest. That'll be kind of cool. I mean, it's. I'm wondering from a dealership perspective what that might do to their superbike sales, you know, as in the Panigales. But the price, I mean, because that bike sort of sits under a, v4 non-s and a little bit above the 959 yeah i think i think it makes sense and but it's dedicated track bike i want to be careful what i say because there's a couple things i can't say for sure i think it makes sense for motocourse's overall strategy i think it makes sense against a lineup like ducati's where there isn't really like a super sport offering or really is anything smaller i mean like at the end of the day ducati's smallest track oriented bike is a 959 and this yeah. is a 690, and it's a single, not a V-twin. So it provides something that's very different. It's it's track only, um, but it's I think it's the same customer. I mean, if you can spend, what is it, it's like 15 to 21,000, 15,000 for the S model, 21, I believe, for the R. Mm-hmm. If you've got that kind of coin for a track bike, for yep. a race bike, you're probably a Ducati-type customer anyways. You have other bikes anyways. So you're, you're kind of in the wheelhouse in terms of what's on the Rolodex. And I, I think they're rad. Like at the end of the day, like it's a good product. So I mean, uh, they I got my money rad. out of it. So that's you know, I put my money where my mouth is on that review. Yeah. Um. So you know, I think it, I think it'll work out well. And, and selfishly for me, like it works out super great. But you already have like, I think there's going to be six Kramers in the Portland area next year. Yeah. On top of whatever you know, motocourse sells. So yep. there's already like kind of a budding group of enthusiasts, and if there's a special class where they can go race, or at least a class that's 
very open to them. I was looking at the Oma Royce book or class structure for next year. Like there's like five or six classes I can go race in and be moderately competitive. I mean, the lightweight class hmm. I think it will be, it, it is the bike to have in the lightweight class and the middleweight, you know, is a 450 cripple triple going to be a little bit better? Probably at PIR. Yeah. Is an SV650 going to be better? Yeah, probably. We'll see what happens with the MT07s, the FZ07Rs that people are building. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, a lot of that's going to come down to rider at the end of the day. I mean, that's going to um, be the case for the, most any of this, which is why I was saying, I think, uh, you know, as an enthusiast and as someone, as a spectator, let's call it, I would enjoy seeing eight or nine Kramers on the track together hashing it out. Because now we're talking about rider to rider skill as opposed to being worried about a 450 triple cripple versus a FC07 versus a Kramer. It it, kind of mixes it up. And that's that's exciting to see as well. But to be able to see eight of my cohorts out there just hashing it out on the same bike, that's pretty cool. And and if Motocorsa is going to be selling these things, I wouldn't be shocked if, let's say, 2020 race schedule might have a Kramer class in it or something like that. Yeah, I think think we'll see that sooner than 2020 i mean i think that's kind of what the plan is for next year i don't think it's gonna be a spec class not like like how they do with the ninja 250 cup right but i think it'll be a de facto spec class where you know the kramer and the lightweight class is such the obvious choice that that grid will be you know six kramers and maybe two or three guys right. or gals on other bikes that are going to kind of have their own race well there's like a kramer race going on <laughs> um but we'll see you know that's it's it's always um, a bit of a fluid thing, but uh, yeah, I'm with you, Shane. Where like for me, the most important thing is like I'd like the idea of having a little spec class, and I like that everyone that's got the bike in the area right now, like we're pretty good about communicating. There was a lot, there was some talk because there was this conversation of well, to be competitive with the cripple triples and the SVs, maybe we need to look at doing some motor work, and let's be really frank and honest with each other about that ahead of time. Like so. When April comes rolling around, someone doesn't show up at the grid with like 10, 15 horsepower more than everyone else. And now like our little Kramer club, you know, like that spec series that we're kind of like making on the side is, is kind of ruined because someone, you know, dropped five G's into their motor. Listen, man, a little drama is needed in some racing. Sometimes. Yeah. But it, I like the fact that like we're kind of keeping it kind of spec where it's like, okay, if we're all going to, if we're all going to, if someone's going to make the motor bump, we're all going to make the motor bump um, and then go stick it to the... Maybe that's what it takes. All right, whoever's listening, if you have a Kramer, just quietly make yours 10, 15 horses more and just show up wow. to the grid and go, I don't know what you're talking about. I just bought the same bike you bought. I'm just what? here racing with what do you, you. What do you mean? <laughs> but it's fun. It's been fun to, to to think about and to kind of plot in the bat cave on, on what I want to do. Um, so first things first, yeah, green frame. Got to get rid of that green frame. Oh, All my right. gosh. Any any ideas on what color you want to go? Red. Going to go red. red. Asphalt and rubber red. Oh, that's unique. Nobody has a red bike. I know, right? <laughs> a red a red steel trellis frame? That would actually be pretty Never sexy. heard of that before. <laughs> that would look pretty good. Maybe you could put some, like, sparkles in it, at least. I don't know about that. Come on. Like, asphalt and rubber is red and silver. You could have silver sparkles in the red frame. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't Sexy. think... I think it's the Persian in me speaking. Maybe some gold yeah, wheels. Yeah, gold. I like gold. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to stereotype Shaheen, but you're a super Persian. Sometimes. I'm going to buy you a gold chain to wear with it. I don't have the chest hair for a gold chain. <laughs> um, the only thing that I'm that I'm going to do that's probably going to be a little different from the other guys is uh, I'm going to keep probably the single disc brake setup. Really? And you think that's enough? Not in its stock form. Oh. If I had to pick, like what. I didn't like about the bike or, or weaknesses of that bike on the S model. It's a single disc 
320 disc. Yep. On the R model, it is a dual 280, I think. I should look this up. I should be more knowledgeable than this. I wasn't really expecting us to talk about Kramer's <laughs> this much, Shane. I had like a bunch of other things on the One's on got the a really list. big shiny disc. The other one's got two smaller, equally shiny discs. discs. Oh, what happens there. when you grab the lever is uh, you get one caliper versus two calipers. I think they raised the price too. It's $22.5 now for the R model. You, you, bought, you bought your S model okay, right in time. Two nineties. Okay. So I wonder if, why is that in bold? So I mean, it's changed for 2019. Everything's in bold. I'm very confused. I wanted to say it was 280, but it's 290. New italic. It's 290 for for the 2019 model year. So that that's all that really matters at the end of the day. Um. So what's your plan? Are you going to go to a larger disc or? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go up to a 330 disc. I think I don't know if I want to give it all away yet. It doesn't really matter. See, I it told you, a little drama really in, the, in the class already. It doesn't matter. Jensen's bike's going to look bone stuck, no, but nobody knows that he's got a... None of those guys. Z, what are those uh, those goofy Buell discs called? The ZT... ZTL. ZTL. So stupid. Oh, man. Have you ever used one of those in a track? The bike just stands up. <laughs> it's crazy. So stupid. <laughs> so stupid. I do think that would be bitching on a supermoto. Like that size bike, like that size bike. Holy I, crap. I, I say it's stupid. It actually would almost make sense on a Kramer. I think that a Kramer motorcycle, if Buell had made a Kramer, if he'd made like a sub 300 pound kind of super sportish bike, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I can get behind the <laughs> the super stupid brake disc thing because that actually starts making sense. On a super bike, it's just stupid. It's just a stupid idea. Stop doing that. Stop saying it's cool. Stop saying it's novel. It's not new. It's not novel. It's dumb. It didn't work. It warped, it warped rotors. And the first thing the world superbike team did when they got it <laughs> got was, rid of it. was got rid of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Immediately. That and the fuel in the frame. So let's just start talking about. <laughs> well, now in your Kramer, cast. your fuel's in your, in your subframe. Well, now it's your seat is basically your fuel tank. Yeah. But yeah. Good. That's all, the, all the combustion right under your b-hole. You know what? You're on a. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of motorcycles, isn't it? There's just all kinds of combustibles you, you between, your, like a between your legs. Bike. You think about a MotoGP bike, right? It's almost 300 horsepower to a liter now. Fuck. And all that is happening right in between your legs. Like you've on an inherently unstable machine that falls <laughs> over on its own, that goes like 200 plus miles an hour. Like you've accepted certain risks with, <laughs> with that pursuit. <laughs> I'm going to sit on this thing and tame it. Watch me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, yeah. So my plan is to go to a 330 rotor. Okay. Uh, your front, your front wheel is going to be all rotor. Iron rotor. I'm going to get rid of the steel. Iron rotor. Yeah. Why? Um, lighter weight material and it has a higher coefficient of friction. Interesting. I'm how does, it, how does it deal with the it's, heat? They're gripping. They're better with heat. Really? They don't work so well in the wet. So, so that's able, good to have in the Pacific Northwest where it barely ever rains. So I'll still run the steel disc in the. I'll <laughs> put the steel disc on my on my wheels with the rain tires, and then on this this wheels with the slicks. I'll have the. That's the how iron. I judge whether someone's a racer or not when I look in their trailer and if they have multiple, multiple wheels, wheels, multiple tires on there. By the way, if you're a wheel sponsor, could use some help Ooh, on that front. I like it. Uh, what kind of wheels? Maybe like some carbon wheels. Can carbon you do that? Would, carbon would be cool. I don't. There's some crazy Kramer sizes. I think the front's a Super Duke wheel, and the back's a 690, and then there's some spacers that need to happen. All right, BST, if you're listening, hook it up. Or Rotobox. One, Rotobox. Yeah, Rotobox. I love those. Yeah, those right. look good. Rotobox and BST, whoever, whoever does it first wins. Go. Good Slovenian country, company. BST, South African? Yeah. 
Blackstone technology. I like their, I like their new wheels that they've uh, put out for the that. Ones, new ones look good. That is a, that is finally a, all the BST wheels that I saw before. The sexy thing about them was that they were carbon fiber. Hard, hard period right there. Like, they just were ugly. I didn't like them. It's a thing. And then, yeah, maybe we'll play around with some brake pads. I think I think I can get it to work because talking to, to the dual disc guys, like, it's just too much brake. And it's a bike that really is a corner speed bike. Right. So it's like you don't really want, like, super bike levels of braking power. You want something a little bit, a little bit less. And I'm looking for just something a little bit more than what I've got with a single disc. So I'm hoping with the larger rotor, different material, different pads, maybe look at master cylinders. Maybe that can work. I don't know. We'll, f- we'll find out. That's 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 part of the fun is seeing like, you know, what secret sauce recipe we can try and right. if it works or not. And be like, oh, that didn't work. <clears throat> 18-year-old Shaheen would have said something like, well, I read in a magazine that the green pad G golfers are the best ones to get. Right. Again, the superlative. The best. Right. What does the best mean? In what, what conditions? On what bike? Exactly. So do some research. Um, if I can, if I can get away with the single disc, and then maybe get a wheel sponsor to get me a lighter wheel, I've probably saved a substantial amount of rotating mass, which would be good. Uh, the, maybe that's your that's your stick. Go for you know get away from as much because the the S model has the cast wheels on it, doesn't it? Yes. And the R model comes with the forged ones. Forged Dimax. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to up your game. It's interesting to see. Um, it's fun to play with, like in my head, to just kind of like when I've got a moment to, th- to plot and think, like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What if little your changes wheels were gold? You would win, Shaheen. If you want to sponsor my racing, I will do gold wheels. I like it. I like this idea a lot. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. The, I'm gonna start a GoFundMe just for gold <laughs> just wheels. For gold for wheels. Racing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, that's something to look forward to. I think in the coming episodes, I don't really want to like devote too much time to my racing pursuits but if there's interesting things that i happen upon while doing this this endeavor um we'll give it a little bit of air time and with that shaheen i think we've talked for 30 minutes about a topic that wasn't even on the bullet point list we're good at that so this is going swimmingly well this is what the listeners have to look forward to <laughs> you know two people just brapping along on the couch i don't know if you thought we were going to leave the rabbit holes behind but we are not Oh, the rabbit holes, I feel like, are deeper with mm. with rabbits with big, sharp, pointy teeth in them. <laughs> is, that a, is that a Monty Python it reference? It is. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and he <doesn't>... shall throw <laughs> thy holy hunger net at thy foe, <laughs> smiting him. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that in so long, so if I fucked up that quote, uh, apologies. Uh, Shaheen, what we... <laughs> the first... Literally the first bullet point on my list out of five. We talked about it before the show. Uh, Moto Guzzi V85 TT pricing. $12,000. I was not expecting this. I I don't know what I was expecting. I just wasn't expecting a sub $13,000 bike. And that's the special color. That's not just No, 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 no. That's the gray one. Oh, is it? Yeah. So, So understand that Moto Guzzi... In their like infinite wisdom has been showing all these photos of like what I lovingly refer to as the McDonald's bike, <laughs> the Ronald McDonald bike, which has that yellow, white, black livery with like a bright red My frame. My wife calls it ketchup and mustard. It is total ketchup and mustard. So that is the TT Adventure, the V85 TT Adventure. The only one worth buying. And it Go. will come with bags, side panniers and a top case. Now... There's and then there's a gray model and that one's going to be the twelve thousand dollar model. Boring, and they but but 
when they've been doing the marketing on this, it's the gray one that's had the bags on it. And that's not necessarily the case. And they've been showing the Ronald McDonald bike without the bags. Well, you know why, though? Bags just, aren't sexy. Bags aren't sexy. It does not look good with the bags on it. No, it just doesn't. I, honestly, nothing really looks that. None of these adventure bikes look good with those giant locker boxes next to them. Uh, they're useful as hell. I have the biggest ones on the planet on my Multistrada, and I can fit my entire life in them, but they're ugly. That being said, for only a thousand bucks more, you get the you get three three cases, two two side bags and a top case. Like that's a good price. That's an amazingly good. You can't buy Honda bags for that price. Yeah. So this is this is the thing where I think Moto Guzzi is crushing it with this bike because it's coming pretty fully loaded. LED lights, TFT dash, ABS, cornering ABS, cornering ABS, traction control, ride by wire. Um, there's an app thing that I don't know a lot about that they're trying to get me some info on, but it sounds like it's going to be fairly well connected on the connectivity side. And then 80 horsepower is low yeah. for the for the segment, but not terribly low. But it's a Moto Guzzi. Moto Guzzi is never making bikes saying, hey, we're making the highest power bike. This is going to be a nice little lumping motor in the middle yeah. that will always have torque whenever you need it, probably. 458 uh, dry. So it's it's right in there with all the other bikes. Okay. And then they come out and they're like, oh, by the way, $12,000. So we're going to be $3,000 cheaper than all the other European bikes Boom, you compete Mike against. Bro. That's huge. That's awesome. You can't even find a Japanese bike for that cheap other than V-Strom 650. This is the first Moto Guzzi that I've actually been really excited about. And and it's funny because I remember growing up, my dad talking about Moto Guzzi's in Iran. So I've always loved the name. But this thing is just, it's it's hitting all the right marks for me. It They're hitting everything on the spec sheet that you need to hit. They're hitting the price point right where it needs to be. They're killing on the price point. It looks really unique. Yep. Um, it's got a red the, the, trellis frame, Jensen. It's got that red like trellis frame. Will. You know, they probably don't have to strip the damn thing apart and paint it. It's going to be a pain in the butt. But, I mean, obviously, need to need to go ride it, see if it does the thing. Right. But, I mean, just, just sitting here. I dig it. You know who I feel bad for? Hmm. Yamaha. Yamaha. Here's another reason why you're not going to buy a Tanay Ray 700. Well, I've I've just uh, Yamaha. What the fuck? You missed the mark. Uh brutal. I mean, it's just brutal because it's it's right there. It's that same. It's that same class of bike. Oh, I should have pulled. And up this will be out what? Probably like May of 19. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I wrote it in the store. What did I say? It said May of 19. I read did it. it say? Just, okay, yeah, yeah May, <laughs> May 2019. I couldn't remember if it was March or not. I know it started in. It's an M, M month. It's mm-hmm. one of those M months. Hold on, I'm only look up the specs on the Tenere 700 because I want to say on the Tenere 700 it's going to be similar power and similar weight. Um, I'm trying to remember what specs. So now, we got. really, yeah, Yama, yeah, yeah, Yama will really have to do something with the pricing if they want to. If they want to say, "Hey, but it's worth waiting for our bike," they they better be looking at like maybe sub ten, which will probably never happen. So. Oh, to be fair, the Tenere is going to be about 450 when fully fueled. So it is going to be lighter. It's yeah. going to make a little bit less power. So it's maybe on the performance side, it's going to have a 21 front wheel. It's going to be definitely more off-road capable. But man, like you just you're just soaking up more customers. You're yep. just soaking up more customers. And if you're going to be late to market, it's just not going to work out so well for you. You know, you know what I want to see? I want to see my buddy Steve Camrad make a video of him just fucking sending one of these things up into the air. And just landing it and talking nothing but lovingly about it. 
I'd be so excited to see that. Oh, on the Guzzi or the yeah, the Guzzi, yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I mean, just slow clap it. Yeah, I, just, just slow clap it. Bravo. Way to go, Bob. Me, I'm Bravo. I'm, I'm wiping a tear of joy. Not it's not a job. brand I uh, I watch very closely because they just they make bikes I'm not interested in. Well, this I one mean, I'm let's, interested let's in. Let's be honest. Who buys Moto Guzzi's typically? You know, Fluzzi Guzzi's. Yeah, right. It's a weird. It's a weird person that buys Moto Guzzi. But now I feel like. They're going to gain some acceptance. Like this is like the Portland of motorcycles where it's okay to be weird. You're going to see this bike. Oh my gosh. And you're going to be excited when you see it. Like, holy shit. Is that a Moto Guzzi? Yeah. Like I could see, I could see like you pulling up into some coffee shop somewhere and an old geezer who used to ride 40 years ago comes to you and goes, wow, I used to have one of these once, you know, when they only had like one brake in the front and they never ran. I feel like I still have to dress up like Ronald McDonald when I ride it though. <laughs> so that's going to be your next helmet, a yellow and red helmet. With the with the red well, wig, yeah, red wig, yeah, that creepy smile on its face. Oh my god, clowns are so weird. Oh god, clowns, clowns are so weird. Yeah, crushed it, crushed it on the pricing. I can't, I can't get more excited about that. How do we feel though about the Ducati Panigale V4R priced at forty thousand dollars for the so US? Market? I'm a little bit surprised by that. Okay, why? In a good way, because if you bought a, and this is where I kind of feel a little bit confused, a V4S. Speciale, yes, which is basically a V4S with a fancy paint job and and exhaust, an exhaust. Yes, is forty thousand dollars also. Yes, but uh, but the R doesn't come with the exhaust. I get it, but it comes with a you know way more angry engine, and it's an R bike. It's going to have carbon fiber bits on it. It's it's going to be tasty. It's going to be tasty. Plus winglets, Jensen. Winglets. I don't disagree with you. I believe I can fly. I think I think some of what Ducati did was. Um, hey, you want the new hotness? You want the 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 thing right now? Yeah, the hottest bike we make right oh, and now. It's sold. It's, sold it's gonna like be forty Gs. And then, but you look at it, the Special isn't coming back for next year. Instead, nope. it's being replaced by the S Corsa, which is gonna be thirty thousand dollars. Which I'm um, I'm grateful they did that. But again, by the time you buy the exhaust and have it installed on there, it's about ten grand. I think the S Corsa comes with the exhaust. What? Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on that. I will not quote you I on that. Vaguely, Jensen Beeler did not say that the S Corsa comes with a full exhaust vaguely on it. remember it that okay, being some the big specs thing. on the full exhaust in the V4 the, the Akrapovich exhaust that exhaust retails <laughs> at around $6,000 and, and it is a 10 hour labor time to put it on there 10 hours guys I heard 9 but yeah it's going to take a while you're going to spend about $1,000 yeah, putting the thousand damn thing on installing it. so you're yeah. talking about a $7,000 exhaust by the time you slap that thing on there so you know, if you find one used or at a dealership sitting on there and it's got the exhaust on it, buy that one. You'll probably save some money. So the other question I have about the R, is it going to be numbered? Remember when Ducati used to do that with their mm, R bikes? I don't think so. I miss those days. You used to be able well, here's, to say... Here's the thing. I could, I could have told you the answer, Shaheen. The press launch is on Friday oh. and I won't be there. So uh, I don't know. I don't oh, know. Good, good move there, Ducati. Huh. They're only bringing one person from the United States, so you know that's a Bonnier person. Probably. No, I know it is because they promised them a certain number of pages for the review. Like, hey, you're going to be on the cover of our of our issue if you let us go to this. Who's going to be there? Probably Wahid. That's what I was going to say. The Heed. I hope it's, I hope it's Wahid. At least somebody that can ride the shit out of it. At least, at least I know I'll get a good wheelie photo on Instagram out like, of it. 
That's what I. That's what another day not, in the you're life not of the Heed. Following Adam Wahid on on Instagram, you're missing out on some good wheelie photos. You're. I can't believe he doesn't have as many followers as I think he should have. Like I've got 2,200 followers. I think Wahid's got like hundreds. No, is, he's got like eight accounts. Which one? Which, oh, which, maybe. which account? Oh, maybe. I, I just have his personal account. Yeah, sort of on time. Bro's like that. Yeah, he doesn't even know who I am. I only got like 500 on my personal one. That's my personal one's just food and dogs and. Yeah, if you follow me on Instagram, you're just seeing pictures of my cat. Coda Kitty, who's asleep. She's in asleep. Front of us. She is just tuckered out. She's adorable. I'm very, I'm very, this price, this is the new normal. That, and that's why, and that's why I include this. I know like, okay, Ducati, drink, okay, whatever. Oh, the $40,000 mark? This is the new normal. Ducati is the first brand that is going down this deep, dark path of, I think, I think for a long time, we have been spoiled by the fact that the Superbike. We literally call it a superbike. <laughs> the 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 pinnacle of technology and performance. Motorcycles would retail for very affordable prices, like you know, fifteen, sixteen, even even an eighteen thousand dollars superbike is well, pretty. I mean, the, there was a when period when it. the ten nine eight came out and Ducati dropped their pants to make sure they could, they could sell some bikes. Right, they lost a lot of money on those. But you're right. I remember like the most special Ducati you could buy would cost you around thirty grand. Uh, you know the R model super bikes, but now forty is the new number. MV Agusta is listening. Well, let's let's put it this way, right? Like I look at it in car terms. For a long time, we've been basically taking Acura NSXs and pricing them a couple thousand dollars more above the Acura Integra, right? Or a Ford GT40 and putting it, you know, slightly over the what's a shitty Ford sedan. Well, I don't even no, care anymore think, about Ford I think sedans. you're a little off base here. But no, the, no, the, I'm the Ford but GT. I'm not seen. I'm not. <laughs> uh, no, no. Listen, I'm a car guy too. The Ford GT, when it came back in the mid 2000s, late 2000s, whenever that was, it was supposed to be $168,000, but dealerships were marking them way the fuck up to like $250,000, and people still bought that shit. Now, in all fairness, but, but, the the next most expensive Ford is a what a. a gt500 or now it's a gt350 and they're like 70 ish but even still like, I, my point isn't necessarily like oh it's one hundred fifty thousand versus two hundred fifty thousand. we're taking these bikes that are supposed to be like the equivalent of like a of a supercar yeah and pricing them just barely above the family sedan yeah okay fair you know so that's my point and that's the point i'm trying to say like you know forty thousand dollars i think this is the new normal yeah if you want the track focused super bike with all the whistles and bells it's going to start costing you what a performance car co- starts costing people in turn, you know, in relative terms. So, so do like, you think that the Japanese are going to follow suit on this as well? I think the day of the $15,000 superbike left us long ago. I I'm think okay we're watching the day of the $20,000 superbike leave us behind. And with the way the world superbike rules are, I think we're going to see $40,000 superbikes. So I'm okay with that on, on, on one count. I know a lot of people are going to say, what the fuck to this, but the, Having worked in retail in the motorcycle industry, watching all these, you know, newbie riders walking in and buying a thirteen, fourteen thousand dollar superbike, you would just watch them right away. And because I'm not your mom, I'm not your dad, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to try and steer you the right way. But if you read the latest and greatest article on asphalt and rubber motor trend, or not motor trend, motorcyclist slash cycle world, you're going to say, yeah, the R1's the best bike out there. Well, I wouldn't say that. Well, I mean, at least in the Yamaha dealership. Right? Bonnier might say that. I'm not going to say uh, that. Bonnier would definitely say that. They have said that. So whatever. An R1, GSX-R1000, CBR-1000, ZX-10, RR, which was amazing and scary. 
but we would sell those to younger riders who had maybe only been riding for two, three years. You have no business on that bike. So I'm hoping that this price hike, this this proper price hike will maybe make these younger riders go, okay, I need to buy a smaller, more affordable, more approachable motorcycle. And these super bikes can be now sold to people that, you know, A, know what they're doing or they have enough enough money to not give a shit, which in that case, whatever. But Well, I think I think you're looking at it from a customer point of view, and I, I don't disagree with you. I look at it from like an economic point of view. The demand curve on super bikes after $20,000, I feel is flat. Yeah. The guy and gal that can afford a $20,000 superbike can afford a $40,000 superbike. Do you think so? Pretty close to it. Maybe maybe not 20 to 40, but if you can afford a $30,000 bike, you can afford a $40,000 bike, you can afford a $50,000 bike. Because at that point, it's just like, hey, I'm really just blowing money on something. And and I think that's that's part of Ducati's whole thing lately is they realize like, hey, especially like with the R bike, if you if you could afford it at thirty, you can afford it at forty. So we're gonna charge you forty. We they can't charge me more than forty because of the rules and superbikes say it has to be forty thousand euros or less. Right. So that's that's become the cap. But you know, I think they realize like, and, and this is this is more to my point of you know coming back to like the supercar analogy. Well, you know, you've been selling supercars like they're sedans and, yeah. and they're not. And it's like, well, it's time for, you know, if you want to pay, if you want to buy the pinnacle motorcycle, if you want like a brand to invest a bunch of R&D into, you know, making motors that produce a lot of horsepower and using exotic materials and sophisticated electronics, you're going to have to pay a premium for it. And that's what this this is going to be. And I think when you look at where the sport bike market is headed in terms of like dwindling sales and, Oh, young guys aren't buying sport bikes anymore. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Young guys aren't buying sport bikes right. anymore. So the market is people that are older, that are more established, that have a little bit more coin. And if you really want to go racing, the mollegation rules are so small, like in terms of volume, what you have to produce. So you only have to make a couple hundred of these yeah. things. If you can't sell a couple hundred Panigale R's, you're doing it wrong. If you can't come up with a super bike that can sell 200 units worldwide in a year, 250 units, it's 500 units over two years. If you can't come up with a bike like that, you know you don't deserve to be in the marketplace. I still think in that case, you need to bring back the exclusivity and give it numbers. You know, make it where you're buying number I don't one know. of 450. Yeah. I mean, do you think it has to be numbered though? Or if you can oh, just dude, say like- these buyers eat that shit up. I promise they? you. Absolutely. Or do you just know like, because like, I'm trying to think like RC30s weren't numbered, but if you saw an RC30, you know what it is and you're like, oh, that's something like I, or like, or an R7. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but most people that see an RC30 that geek out on it are people like you and I who, who geek out about motorcycles, period. You, you got to remember a lot of your high-end motorcycle buyers are, are people who can afford high-end stuff. And so for them to buy a high-end thing, it needs to be shown off as a an exclusive, one-off, badass. You're going to show up anywhere and just, you know, have people want to talk about it and 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 whatnot. So uh, there is there is two sides to this coin. There is the true motorcyclist who can afford it, who's going to take it to a track day and really have a good time with it. And then there's going to be the the poser. Guess which one of those people are more on that spectrum? Like who? Which one of those people exists more? It's the posers. It's always the posers. It's people that have money and they want to be able to take it to the next coffee meet or, or you know, group ride and go, yeah, check me out. I've got winglets on my Ducati V4R. Yeah. And yeah, I paid 40 grand for it. And you know I paid 40 grand for it because Asphalt and Rubber said so. Yeah. And that's okay. It's exclusivity. That's the That's been one of the marks of buying something 
high fashion, expensive Italian, right? Whether it's a suit, a shoe, a car, or a motorcycle, at some point you're 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 trying to show off the fact that you've made it and you've bought this Ducati or this Harley or something like that. This kind of comes back to uh, I think you and I talked about the BMW HP4 race. Oh yeah. Where I think one of the challenges, and it's funny, I just got a, another letter from the BMW dealership <laughs> trying to sell me the damn thing. Did you give them a counter offer of forty thousand? I should. I'm telling you. Um, and I bet this time of year they'd start thinking about it. <laughs> um, but I think like it comes back to like one of the challenges of selling that bike is it's going to look just like the sixteen thousand dollar bike that you sold all the skippies. Yeah. So I'm supposed to be like the big swinging G with the seventy five thousand dollar motorcycle. But it looks just like all the other ones that you sold for, you know, blowout prices on like some crazy balloon payment program. That's a tough sell because if, if again, if it comes down to like just kind of posing and bragging rights, like right. that's hard to get bragging about. And I think that's going to be the hurdle for some of the, especially the Japanese brands where they're not really, or they haven't had a history of selling on premium and selling it on brand where it's just more like value yeah. and reliability that they've right. been selling on. Um Whereas this idea of like, hey, you're going to have to come out with like, hey, Honda, you're going to have to come out with like a CBR or a, a VFR or whatever, you know, next superbike configuration. And, you know, I think you're going to have to have a homologation bike that is $40,000. So you're going to sell like a couple hundred of that's like a special thing. And that's what's going to allow you to be competitive in racing while, you know, still making the books make sense. I think I think a lot of those companies, especially the Japanese ones, are fully aware that those bikes aren't their money makers. It probably costs them more money to build a cool homologation motorcycle than <gasps> what they end up selling it for. And and frankly, at the end of the day, they're they're selling more, you know, gold wings and dual purpose bikes and dirt bikes. And that's what really their bread and butter is. So once in a while they'll, as I used to call it, write themselves a little love letter and sell it to you and sell, you know, a hundred of them and say, yeah, it's super expensive, but you know, it's super unique. Maybe. I mean like I th- Honda's a great example with the RC twenty one three VS. Yep, one hundred eighty four thousand mm-hmm. dollar motorcycle. They made like two hundred fifty of them. That's forty six million dollars. Yeah. So I mean, like, what do you I think those bikes think, cost them to make? I don't think it costs them forty six million dollars, especially when you consider that so much of that bike was carryover from the GP program. I don't think it cost them anywhere near that. I think I bet I I would bet money that they made money on that bike. I don't think they lost a single dollar. And then you factor in all the branding, all the marketing they got out of it, all the halo effect that bike right. generated. Now, I think they shot themselves in the foot with this 100 horsepower nonsense. Yeah, that was kind of bullshit. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really, like, I'd be really curious to do it. a little bit of research and find out what something like that truly cost for them to make. Because there used to be an article back in the day about the Bugatti Veyron when that came out, that crazy yeah. 16 cylinder, yeah, yeah. you know, 240 something horse, uh, mile per hour car. That they're still iterating on, by the way, like 20 years later. They're just going to keep milking it for what it's worth, man. But what I had read was that car cost Volkswagen an additional hundred-something thousand dollars just to sell. So they made zero money on those cars. What do you mean it cost them a hundred thousand dollars? Like Volkswagen, who's the like the parent sales company, process cost a hundred thousand dollars? No, like it, it, they, they should have charged another hundred-something thousand dollars to be able to break even on that car. And so each car sold supposedly cost them that much money out of pocket. I don't understand. That car sold for like a million dollars. Yeah, and it cost apparently more than that to make. Okay, so you're saying you're selling it for $1.1 million, but it really cost you $1.2 million right. to make, so you lost $100,000 in the right. process. I'd agree with that. Unless you could sit there and quantify like, hey, we made 
on a per unit basis more than a hundred thousand dollars in brand and goodwill or whatever blah blah so blah, that was blah, my blah. point on like say like honda with that with that you know crazy cool bike is that you know just like volkswagen volkswagen is going to sell golfs and tiguans and bullshit cars you know as, as i like to call them rental cars that's where their money's at and then they make this bugatti and it costs an arm and a leg to make and an arm and a leg to buy and it's ultimately like you said it's it, it ends up creating this halo effect and it puts a lot more eyes on them as a company and going holy shit look at what they're capable of i think in, in honda's case because so much of that bike was almost a direct carryover from the gp program i mean the accountants can argue over what costs they're going to attribute to which project. But at the right. end of the day, it's like, well, we've already developed all the frame chassis geometries and metallurgy and wall thickness and all this other stuff. So, you know, you could essentially, I think you could almost say that R and D on that bike was next to zero. Like the only thing that's going to be really hard is how do we make it street legal? Right. And I think we found the answer was, we'll just not let it rev higher than 6,000 RPMs. <laughs> like, they, they didn't try to make it street Can you legal. imagine somebody sells you a Lamborghini it's like, well, it only goes 60 miles an hour, so good luck. But I think, I mean, I think that was them cutting that corner, but that's why I say, like, I bet they made money. I don't know how much it costs, like, in terms of cost of goods sold, like, how much raw metals in there and how long does it take them to form a frame out of it. Right, like, right. You know, what their, their actual costs are per bike, but, I mean, it's not $180,000, that's for sure. Huh. You know, if, if a normal superbike costs, let's say, like, let's say a Honda CBR 1000. 19 grand, 18 grand. I mean, let's like the base model, let's call that. That's like an $18,000 bike. Let's say it costs 15000 to make. Right. So let's just round up and say this bike costs 20000 to make. It's not bad. In theory, I mean, that, I could see where you're coming from. I mean, maybe. I mean, that's. I mean, that's some crazy gorilla math. Raw material going on wise, there. how much more than a CBR one thousand right. is I mean, this thing? If frame, it's like yeah, it's a better frame or whatever. Or it's a better engine, but like it's still like X amount of pounds of aluminum, X right. amount of pounds of steel, forged and extruded, and all these other things. It's an interesting point you make. It always makes me wonder why. You know, I mean, I get it. I get why some cars cost more than the others, and why motorcycles do, but. I mean, raw material to raw material, how much difference is there between, say, a CB250, CBR200, oh, now, I guess, versus a 1000? Well, and that's why you see some of these bikes, it has to be, they have to get a certain amount of units out of it. Right. They have to get enough uh, bikes built to amortize the R&D over the life cycle of the bike. That's why the Ninja 250 basically stayed the same for so long. And it's kind of like why we're seeing... KTM comes to my mind specifically with the 790 platform. Priced really aggressive. I wouldn't be surprised if they're losing some money on that bike initially up front, but because they're going to sit there and be like, well, we're going to make like four or five bikes out of it. They're going to be in a bunch of different markets. Right. It's a bike that can be produced at different factories. Like we're going to get this volume up and it's going to get our costs lower so it doesn't matter if we spent you know 150 million dollars developing it because over the next 10 years we're going to make it back you know threefold yeah. you know like there's there's definitely bikes like that. and i think that's one of the issues with the super bike market and the super sport market where we had these crazy two-year cycles you know every two years a new bike was coming out and that isn't sustainable if you don't make enough margin and the sales start dwindling Exactly. And I think that's where we got caught up, you know, over the recession. And that's why I think why the CBR is basically 10 years old now. Um, well, it seems like once, you know, once that 
terrible tsunami had hit Japan. I mean, they just kind of halted that two-year thing. Well, that. yeah, it was before that, though. I mean, the tsunami wasn't that long ago. Oh, wait? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Because I was still, it wasn't early days, I remember. It was like the, that was like 2010, I mean, 2012. It seemed like, you know, Suzuki never changed the GSXR, at least for a long time. Uh, the only bike that I saw really change was the ZX10. That went a whole different route. And then finally, Yamaha caught up with the R1. Yeah. Kind of. The, the tsunami really only shut things down for about a year. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, on a two year turnaround time, a year's a But that's what I'm saying. But we were, we were done with the two year thing way before yeah. that. Um, yeah. Cause the CBR had already been like six, seven years old at that point. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I think it comes back to, I think that's why we see Suzuki, which, you know, is, you know, rumored to be struggling for money. And, you know, we kind of see it with Yamaha right now too, which is definitely struggling for money where it's like, yeah, what happens? They stop making new bikes yep. because the margin on selling an old bike is so great. Like if you look at the numbers in super bikes sold, CPR 1000 still sells about as many units as, uh, Kawasaki and, um, and Suzuki do. So why change it then, right? So it's like one of the things where it's like, so, and they're making it on like a 10 year old design. So right. it's like, they're not having to do tooling. They're not having to change assembly lines and source a bunch of different things. It's like, if you can sell just as many, what's the point of selling a new one? And that's, and that's the scary part, like where Suzuki comes out with a new Jixer and like, it should be the hottest, newest thing. And it should have like twice as many sales as everyone else, but it doesn't. No, it's selling just as many as Cowie, just right. as many as Honda. Yamaha is doing a bit better with the R1. I'm kind but. of sad that the days of the super bikes have sort of dwindled. You know, those, they were the most exciting things to look forward to every couple of years. And at least as a young rider back then, you know, because it was like, oh, this new shiny, crazy, unobtainium thing. Because even though they weren't that expensive, I as a rider would look at it and go, oh, man, this is so far beyond my ability that I can't even, I can't see myself getting on one of these things. And I remember reading the ads, you know, on motorcyclists and the very bottom of it, it was like, this is made for a professional rider. Yeah. Like an expert level rider. It's like, right. oh, I'm not there yet. I don't know if superbike sales have dwindled. I think they were just at a false high. And I think that's part of what the sales on the recession were. Like, you know, we saw a huge slump. We saw sales go down 40% during the recession. And I don't know if that's a, um, we're finding our new bottom. I think we had a false high. Hmm. And I think it's the same with super. Like, I come back to this idea like, this is supposed to be the Halo super supercar version of motorcycles. Yeah. And we're sitting here acting like they should be selling in volumes like a Tercel or a Honda Accord or whatever. And like, no, they shouldn't. They should, not, be selling the like, the thing. they should be selling like Ferrari quantities. Right, they should right. be selling in Bugatti quantities. I agree with that. I agree with that sentiment. And, and so I think we're just kind of like, I think for a long time we got away with selling them to like young, dumb kids who had decent credit. And if we priced it at, you know, $15,000, they were pretty affordable. But we weren't making any money. And I think now brands are realizing like, hey, well, those, those, ro- buyers went away on their own the recession took care of them and now we're left with a completely different like core demographic who are less price sensitive so twenty five thousand thirty thousand forty thousand yeah okay whatever how much do i how big of a check do i need to write you to have the coolest baddest thing on the market because that's what i'm going to go buy yep i think that's the new norm i think that's that's what i think is the most important thing about seeing the the pricing on the panigale v4r because i think like Give them a little bit of time to catch up, but I think like three years from now, that's it. I believe it. I mean, I've it's we've watched it climb and climb and climb, and it you know the excuse used to be well the technology has gotten to a point where you can't be selling six hundreds for sub ten thousand dollars anymore. But yeah, I, I agree with you. 
Um, just just as an aside, I saw that we finally have the what was my what was my silly headline? The final final edition of the Ducati V <laughs> Twin Superbike is finally here. I called I called the FFE the FFE. <laughs> It, it, it's funny because when the bike was originally announced, Ducati was like, we we will keep building this until people stop ordering it. And now they're like, nope, we're done. So now, is this going to be 1,299 of these from now or including the ones that they had already made? I think the ones they'd already sold. Oh, okay. Thank goodness. Yeah. Because that would have been silly. No, no, no. Like, I hey, think, guys, this is the final. final no, it edition. sounds like they want to wind down production. And they're like, okay, we're going to be done. Twelve ninety nine sold total worldwide. Get yours in now because like next year is basically our last year. It's such a Ducati thing to build a bike that they just discontinued while they have a new bike out there. But they're going to build both of them side by side, well, essentially. The funny thing is it's it's 40 Gs. I was going to say it is also $40,000. So, the, you know, you, you're going to buy a half a Superleggera for half of a Superleggera price yeah. or a V4R. That's the newest, greatest, craziest thing. The thing that I like about it, though, or the thing I think that's interesting and the reason to bring it up, I feel that this is the last V-twin Ducati Superbike that'll ever be built. A large platform motor, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, Superbike. True Superbike. Not like 959 bullshit. Rumor has it that's going to stick around for a little while. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That'll be the future of V-twins for for Ducati. But I feel like this is the last true V-twin Superbike. Because you think about it. Okay, we got the V4 platform now. Figure that'll do a mid-year refresh and like or mid-cycle refresh two three years, and maybe two three years after that. So like let's say twenty twenty five. We're looking at that's about a Ducati turnaround time is five years. Yeah, we're looking at the end of what we call the Panigale V four. Yep. And then what does that leave us in terms of like okay, will it be another V four V four bike? There's no way they're going to go back to a twin after that. Unless that's I guess my point. Like at that point is do we have do we end up with like a hybrid? Do we start seeing electrics? I don't know. I, hybrid, I think for sure, has got to be a thing at, at some point in the it's near future. Be. That's that's such a thing in the car world now. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if Ducati's gonna be the first one to jump on the electric train, but I could see them coming up with like a push to pass fifty yeah. horsepower hybrid thing that they're they're doing. You know, patent that shit, Claudio. I got. I want. Got to get the taste on that one. That's right. Um, wants, a, wants a, a percentage. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a pretty obvious one. I'm probably not going to get anything on that, but um, but I feel like that's that's the next step in in technology, or it ends up being force induction. I feel like force induction is late to the game. Force induction was a thing like in the 80s, though. Well, you know, like well, because we see we see Kawasaki playing around with the supercharger yeah. on its H2 bikes. We hear rumors about Suzuki for turbo. We've heard some stuff about Honda playing around with force induction. And like truthfully, I feel like if you're investing in force induction right now, like you're wasting money. Yeah, I think I think electric hybrid power is going to be more right. It's it's the new cool thing, right? I mean, the force induction's neat, <sighs> and in the car world, a lot of companies are going to back to turbos. You know, smaller displacement motors that are putting out the same power as that old bigger motor, but they they are. But more importantly, they did. 10 years ago. Yep, exactly. And I think that's that's the difference. Like, yeah, 10 years ago, I think it makes sense to invest in that technology. And I think you keep using that technology for as long as there's an internal combustion engine yep. uh, need. But if you're saying, like, like if you had to design a motor right now from scratch, are you really going to, like, spend the time to develop a forced induction system for it? Or do you look to the future and say, like, hey, we should have some sort of electronic motor, KERS, thing instead some sort of hybrid motor well i mean if we're talking about making these bikes be super special and super high end like the super duper cars then hybrid power is the thing 
that's my that's, you can charge an arm and a leg for it but someone's going to buy it because they're going to be able to say i've got the first hybrid powered push the pass motorcycle like how cool would that be that's my thought process and i think ducati that, should be the first one and that's where i come back to I'm like i just don't see how ducati goes back to a v-twin superbike i don't think so i think i think the especially the super quadro design where you have the engine the frame basically built off the engine like you're not going to make it any lighter right You've already pretty much reached the limits yeah, of at this what point, you can now we're do. We're going to talk about v- technology, right? Yeah, like, I'm like, like unless like there's some like miracle on <laughs> metal or like we learn how to make like carbon fiber pistons or something. I just don't see how a V twin design gets any lighter, makes any more power, and gets any more rideable and becomes any way better than what. Ducati is made with the, no, I think, the 12.99. I think you're right. We've been saying that for the last... I mean, basically, since the 12.99 Panigale came out, we're like, this is it. Like, where else are you going to yeah. go from here? Uh, especially with the way, you know, EPA rules are. Right. Well, that's the that's the other part of it. You look at... We just saw a big uh, climate change report come from the federal government. Fake. Was, <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Too soon? Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't make me come over. Don't make me come over there, Shaheen. But, you know that is going to become a real thing where we start talking about climate change. Now America might have its own opinions on it, but that is not the opinion that not America dude. It's one fella. Who's uh, too I intelligent. I wouldn't say it was just one fella, but there is definitely a pushback on in American culture to this yeah, idea. That's true. But that is not what let's say is the prevailing wisdom in Europe or in other countries. So you're already seeing that other markets are going to move away from, from this technology. Um, so it'd be interesting. It's very, I'm very curious to see. Like, I, I really do think this is the last. This is the last hurrah for this. I think that for the motorcycling industry to go to that next level, I think the idea of clean air and and you know that whole shtick uh, is going to be the next next thing, right? Um, and I would love to see a company like Ducati be sort of ahead of it, just because Ducati is typically a trendsetter, right? Maybe mostly by style, but I'd love to see them do something technologically advanced like that. Let's let's play this game. You got a crystal ball ten years down the line. Okay. Are emission standards more or less restrictive? More. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know how you improve upon. You don't on this bike, and I, and I think that's the value. It's like this is this is it, and the, what a, what a huge thing like to to like appreciate for the moment that. We're seeing a pivot point or or an inflection point in Ducati's kind of like iconic history story, whatever you want to call it, and it's changing right now before us. So we are we are literally about to go into the last year of a Ducati V Twin Superbike. That's right. That's crazy. That's crazy to think of. Um, I again, the the young Shine would have never seen that coming because Ducati was always about the twin. Yeah. You know, it's like the patented 90 degree L twin. Uh, don't say L twin around me. That's marketing. I just did. That's just marketing. Hey man, I drank the Kool Aid. Oh, you did. <laughs> um, speaking about a another motorcycle company making cool things, I want to get off the Ducati train because if if you're playing the Ducati drinking game, you were drunk by now I'm for so sure. Drunk. You talked about what GoFundMe for my gold wheels. Yep. Important. I think what's more important is we need a GoFundMe so we can go buy a KTM MotoGP race bike. Dude, and it's only <laughs> what two hundred fifty thousand euros. It is surprisingly affordable. I didn't think you can buy a MotoGP bike for two hundred a quarter of a million euros. I mean, what? Still, I mean, you you do the math, and it's it's going to be kind of spendy in the United States. But even still, like a quarter million for a GP bike, that's I, there's, insane. There's probably MotoGP teams. They're like, uh, yeah, can we <laughs> can we buy that? 
<laughs> like like every poncherel at Tech Twas home, like, whoa, guys, I spent way more money than that, and I didn't even get any leathers from Paul Spargo. Are, so is there? Are they changing anything on it? Are they are they plugging it in any way? Say they know, are it, I should say. not telling, talking a ton about it, but it sounds like it's literally just it's a bike from last season. Is it is it seventeen or sixteen season? <laughs> Who knows? They literally don't say. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's going to be one of the bikes just from the garage. I mean, That's obviously, so cool. They obviously have no more need for it, and they're just going to sell it. <laughs> and you get a bunch of cool stuff. From like you get Paul Spargo's leathers and helmet and boots and gloves. Who's gonna fit in that? And then they're gonna take you on a paddock tour, like bring you out to a GP. You basically need to be a part of the Red Bull KTM team for an entire round weekend, race weekend. Which that, you know, that on its own, that that's like a ten thousand yeah, dollars. That's at least ten thousand dollars. And then on top of it, you're gonna get a MotoGP bike. And understand like Honda's bike was hundred and eighty four thousand US or hundred and eighty yeah, hundred and eighty four thousand US. The Ducati, like, I'm trying to remember if it was ever released what, like, Camion paid for his Ducati. Like, a million dollars is some is a price yeah, that stands that, in my head. But that might be wrong. But still, like... I'm, I'm My head exploded when I what, saw that. Yeah. For what the market rate is, I actually feel that's pretty reasonable. I I just... that That is so cool. That's going to sell probably tomorrow. Yeah, I can't imagine that stayed... Especially with everything that it comes with. I mean, it's, talk about the ultimate collector's item. How cool would that be if that was in your garage right now? Ah, uh, yeah. All right, go fund me. Yeah, let's get on. Let's let's get on that train. Kramer, what? <laughs> I mean, you could show up and put the Kramer stickers on it and just be like, "That's my Kramer. I bought the thing. It was the, the S model. I put gold wheels on it. Gold carbon wheels. Oh, <gasps> like carbon gold weave. Shaking my head at you. This is oh, bad radio, but I'm shaking my head at you. Um, very very interested. And and to see what happens. If an ANR reader gets that, just remember we get a ride. Yeah, I mean you have to do a test ride to it's ride about do. it at yeah. the local PIR track. Yeah. Something. I'll go anywhere. I'd fly to fly to you. That'd be a cool thing to put in your garage. Um what are, where are we at? Dyslexics of the world untie. There we go. I think I think that's it for this show. I think it's pretty successful. We should point people because because you're the point man on this. Okay. We should point people to our new social media thing so they can keep in touch with the show, we interact should. with us, ask questions, and follow us for when new things are coming so we've out. We've got Instagram, Brap Talk, B-R-A-P Talk, all one word. Uh, if you need to reach us, uh, we Brap Talk, plural, we, Brap Talk at gmail.com. It, wherever you're listening the, to this podcast, I should say, just to, to finalize it, make sure you subscribe to the feed because it's going to be a different feed. It's obviously a different feed. Um, make sure you subscribe to it. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Um, unfortunately, we're going to kind of have to start that whole process over again to help other people find the show. Uh, I'm always amazed at how bad the search engines are for these podcasting apps. To like, if you type in like motorcycle podcast, for some reason, like ESPN is always like the first thing that shows up. And you're <laughs> they like, pay really? a lot of money to be on top of every search. Man. And you're like, really? Like ESPN? <laughs> I don't think ESPN's got a single motorcycle podcast. So. <laughs> Uh, one of the ways you can help us fix that problem is to, you know, if your uh, platform allows a review, to leave, make sure you leave us a review and a rating or a star rating or whatever that system is that they're using. Definitely leave us some words. Say hi in the comments if you're from the Two Enthusiasts podcast. And if you have requests of things that you'd like to hear us talk about, I mean, we're probably not going to do it, but we'd like to hear what you want us to talk about. I mean, it can definitely do, happen. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lazy when it comes to po- podcast topics, so... 
Um, but yeah, interact with us. We'll we'll be around and we'll try and make this a weekly thing. Well, make good choices and remember, safety third. All right, Shaheen. Good talk. I'll see you out there. All right, bye. Do do I need a black light? How much do you like this couch? I mean, I can say whatever I want because I will definitely be editing it out. <laughs> <laughs> so much for transparency. <laughs> Fake news about this couch. Oh, let's put it this it's way. Clean, I think. Stains I come out of Belgian linen really easily. <laughs> Fair enough. That's why you buy it. Fair enough. Oh, man. Honey, when I get home, whenever you listen to this, please wash my pants.